Welcome to Grace Family Church. We are so glad you decided to check out our podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching from Pastor Tommy will encourage your faith and lead you towards the greatness God has planned for you. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy this message. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those things in heaven and those things on earth and those things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the wonderful, powerful, mighty, majestic name of Jesus. I pray, Father, that as we open your scriptures today, that you'll speak to our hearts, that you'll use me. You'll anoint me to speak your truth into our lives so that, Father, we walk away from these services and from this series with a newfound appreciation and revelation for the power that resides in the name of Jesus. And we'll give you all the praise and thanks and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, for the past few months, really, um, I've been talking about, as a pastor, you know, the attitudes of our heart and the, uh, really the culture we want to develop as a church. And, you know, there are seasons in churches where that's necessary, right? And we just went through that season where we've been talking about more so, you know, being a church that really does love God. You know, these are general themes, right? That we love God with all our hearts, that, you know, we value people and that we use our gifts to serve. And so those are internal things that we have to establish in our life to be the express image of Jesus in the earth. But as I was praying, I really felt like the Lord wanted to, uh, uh, over the next several weeks, really talk more about, you know, uh, arming us to be effective, not vertically with God, but horizontally with others, uh, to be more offensive. You know, he's really, uh, what, what this is really about is equipping us with an offensive weapon so that we are and have the ability to rule and reign in life as God uh, created us to rule and reign. Uh, and so, you know, I wanted, I really felt the Lord leading me to teach us on uh, the authority of the name of Jesus. You know, there are some that have been in, uh, in the, the, quote, the word of faith or the, you know, spirit-filled movement for, for many years. And you've maybe heard messages on the name of Jesus. And so this may be a refresher for you. There may be some nuggets of revelation that come forth. And there may be others here that uh, have never understood and never had the revelation hit their heart of what it means to be given the name of Jesus as a believer to use in your life. And so, um, and so because of that, you know, sometimes I believe that truth, whether we've heard it or haven't heard it, if especially we've heard it, it can become stale in our life. You know, it can become, you know, something that we've heard, but it's just sort of a catchphrase. You know, we got a lot of Christian catchphrases, right, uh, that we've learned over the years and bumper stickers that people ride around with. And uh, they become sort of just, uh, you know, something that's not really alive on the inside of us. And God wants, you know, the name of Jesus to be a living, vibrant revelation in our hearts. And so uh, Psalm 81, I like the way verse 14 and 16 says it in the Message Bible. This is what God says. He said, I'll make short work of your enemies. How many of you want him to make short work of your enemies? Short work, right? Give, I'll give foes the back of my hand. How many of you realize that's a pretty big hand, right? 
Verse 16, notice this. You'll feast on my fresh-baked bread spread with butter and rock-pure honey. How many of you are hungry this morning? What that verse says is that when we are in the presence of God and when he is making short work of our foes, it's when we're receiving fresh-baked bread. It's not when we're eating old stale bread or we're carrying around. You know, you ever had stale bread sit, along, sit in your pantry for a long time? It gets hard, it gets crusty, it turns ugly colors, right? Unfortunately, that happens at times in our bread pantry because uh, we got a drawer piled full of stuff. We just keep piling it on top and every once in a while we got to clean it up. But, but that being said, you know, uh, he says what he wants to do is he wants to give us fresh baked bread. Why is that? Because it is the revelation of God's word that actually causes us to walk in spiritual truth. It's not just head knowledge of God's word that allows you to walk in spiritual truth. So you may have recognized and heard scriptures even on the fact that you as a believer have been given the name of Jesus. But if it is not alive on the inside of you, if it is not revelation knowledge on the inside of you, that name cannot be as effective as God intended it to be. And so we see in Psalm 119 and verse 130, it says the entrance... An unfolding of your words gives light. Their unfolding gives understanding, discernment, and comprehension to the simple. It says that the entrance of God's word, that's an interesting phrase, the entrance of a word. But what that means, it's talking about that moment when God's word sort of hits your heart and you're like, come, it comes alive on the inside of you. Where all of a sudden you see something that you may have heard before but you never saw before. You know what I mean, right? where it's just all of a sudden it's a revelation to you. And so I really believe that, you know, that, that as the Lord challenged me to start this series, that there may be many here, matter of fact, that, that, that have just understood, maybe at some point had a revelation of the name of Jesus in the past, but it's become a little old to you. It's become, you know, a little bit of something that possibly uh, uh, you're even throwing it around, right? Like a magic rabbit's foot or some lucky coin you carry in your pocket, but it's not being effective. And it's because that revelation of the truth of the name of Jesus needs to come back alive in our life. Why? Because that name, I'll tell you up front the punchline, it's been given to you so that you don't have to face life challenges under the strength of your own hand or with the resources that you have. See, there are many of us that I think have settled into a place maybe in our life where problems show up and the first thing we think is, how am I going to deal with this? How many, how many can, amen or on me? But God doesn't want us dealing with our problems. He wants us using the name of Jesus to address our problems. And that doesn't mean we turn a blind eye and we're not responsible and we don't use wisdom. But God doesn't want you in the strength of your own hand having to overcome things that life throws at you. And many times life will throw things at you that are bigger than your own strength and your ability. And when you face those things in your life, you need to understand that you've been given a name so that that challenge is not larger than you are. And so I really felt that the Lord wanted me to teach again, and I, and I don't know how many weeks we'll go on this, but on the name of Jesus to bring it back alive on the inside of us. And so let's look at our opening foundational text again. It says in verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him, and I want you to notice this phrase, and given him a name which is above every name. 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a name that is above every name and at that name every knee should bow. And so I want to dive into making that come alive on the inside of us again so that when we use that name, it produces results. And so for us to be able to understand the power of the name of Jesus, for us to be able to have the entrance of that word coming alive on the inside of us, I believe there's a little foundational theology that you must understand to embrace the fullness and power of the name that you've been given as a child of God. Foundational theology 101 is, well, not 101, but probably 201 is this. God created man, and when he created him, he created him to dominate and to rule and reign on this planet. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over, everybody say dominion over. Notice it says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And I've always said, you've been given dominion over creeps. Amen. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, created he him, male and female, he created them. Now you could stop right there and feast on those two verses for a while, and it would bring true revelation to you've been created in the image of God. But just let that sit for a minute. Think about that. And it goes on to say in verse 28, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and notice this word, and subdue it. Everybody say subdue. Subdue it and have dominion. Everybody say have dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created man to have dominion and to subdue, right? We see it very clearly. Basic theology. Have dominion means this. That word is the uh, Hebrew word radah. You pronounce it like R-A-W-D-A-W, radah. And it means this, to rule, to dominate, to tread down. So first thing you need to understand is that God created you to rule, to dominate, to tread down. Not to be ruled, not to be dominated. You know, some people say, man, I feel like I've been run over by a truck. No, God didn't create you to be run over by trucks. Amen? He created you to be driving the truck in life. Amen? Then you have the next word, subdue. That word subdue means it's the actual, I love this word. Sounds like something that you'd hear on WWE if you watch that kind of stuff, right? That word subdue me is the word kabash. <laughs> kabash. Everybody say Kabash. So you got radah and you got kabash. Kabash means to forcefully keep under, to bring into bondage. There it is again, to tread down. And then this one is really sort of almost in your face, to forcefully violate. (laughs) So we've been called to forcefully violate some things. You say, what? That doesn't sound very loving and Christian. Well, how many realize the devil ain't very loving and Christian? And you've been called to kick him to kingdom come. Amen. By the name of Jesus. And so we've been called to Radah and Kabash, right? Once you remember those words, God did not create man to be not dominated by this life, but many people are dominated in life by things. Sickness attaches itself and they're dominated by it. 
Lack is a part of them and they are dominated by it. Addictions maybe are something they deal with and they're dominated by it. Uh, bad habits are things they uh, can't seem to shake. They're dominated by those things. But what the scripture says is we are called to raw dawn and kabash those things. Live above them. Tread them underfoot. God originally created mankind not to be dominated by anything. But here's the history story. Adam sinned and gave away that authority. We know the story in Genesis, you know, the Bible told Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They ate from it, and the Bible says in that day they sinned. And when they sinned, they actually gave away their authority that was found in a relationship with God. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, Therefore, just as one man sinned, speaking of that one man Adam, just as Adam sinned, one man's sin entered through the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men. Now we can't just blame Adam because of that last phrase, because all have sinned. So what we find is, is when Adam originally sinned, the Bible says death entered the earth. Now we need to understand something about death. A lot of people think death, and I've said this over the last several weeks, I think almost, uh, death is not the cessation of life. Death only means, in a biblical sense, death means separation. And, and, and what happened with Adam, because we know he didn't die physically when he sinned, right? He didn't die immediately. He kept living. He hid in the garden, and God, and God came and found him and helped him, right? Because that's the kind of God we serve. When you mess up, he ain't mad at you. He's here to help you when you mess up. He's chasing you down, trying to find you. You ain't here by accident. You're here because he's looking for you. And because he, he loves you. Amen. But what we find to be true here is that when Adam sinned, the Bible says death entered the world. What kind of death? Well, he was separated in his relationship from God. And because of that, physical death actually entered the earth. And years and years later, Adam actually physically died. And that's why God said, when the day you sin, you will surely die. Actually, he said, you will die, die. That word surely is the same word as the word die in the original Hebrew. So he said, you will die, and in dying, you will die. You'll be separated from your physical body because you've been separated from your relationship with God at some point, right? And so what that says is, is that Adam sinned, but not only did he sin and separate us from God, but in that sin, he gave away, and this is important to recognize, he gave away his right to rule and reign everything in this earth. We see it in Romans chapter 6 and verse 16. It says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey. Well, who did Adam obey? We know the story, right? The, this, the serpent, the snake. The Bible says the devil took on the form of a snake and deceived Eve, and actually Adam blatantly disobeyed God, even though he knew he was doing wrong. A lot of people say, you know, that uh, the old woman, she ate Adam out of house and home. But it wasn't the woman's fault. The Bible says she was deceived. But Adam, with eyes wide open, said, I'm going to disobey God. I'm going to try that fruit, even though he told me not to, Right? And so when he sinned, what it says here, it says, Do you not know to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are the one, you are, you are that one's slave whom you obey. See, when, when, the, when Satan came to Adam and tempted him to sin, he wasn't just trying to get him to sin. He was trying to get Adam to submit to him so that he could take the position of spiritual authority on this planet because he knew Adam had it. God gave it to Adam, and it was Adam's to, to, to use the right way. But we see here he forfeited that, so much so that when Adam forfeited it, actually the enemy, the devil, became what the Bible calls the God of this world. 
See, a lot of people think when all the bad stuff happens, everything happens for a reason, all the bad stuff happens, that God did it. God didn't do a lot of stuff that happens on this planet. The devil did, and, 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 and the curse on this planet did. People call earthquakes and hurricanes, you know, an act of God. They're not an act of God. They're an act of a violent planet that hadn't been redeemed completely yet until Jesus returns. It's groaning and aching, waiting for its opportunity. But what we see here is that uh, uh, the, the enemy was trying to rob uh, Adam of his spiritual authority, and he did. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, Satan, who is the god of this world, uh, notice it calls him the god of this world. I didn't call him that. The Bible did. Why is he the God of this world? Because Adam submitted himself and his authority to the devil and gave it to him. So he has authority, to, he had authority to move and operate. And for 2,000 years after Adam's sin, I mean, he had free reign to wreak havoc on whoever he wanted to legally. Because he was the one in authority. And only those that would place faith in a coming Messiah and, and put faith in a blood sacrifice through an animal that was ritualistic that was never meant to take away sins could they escape for a period of time any of his attack and, and things. But they never were able to walk into the full authority that Jesus and God gave to Adam in the first place when he created him. But the good news is this morning, the story doesn't stop there. Amen? Jesus made a way to take Satan's authority back. You know, how did he do that? The Bible says he came and he, died. he lived a perfect life, Jesus. He's called the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And the Bible says that he never sinned, even though we have. And yet, and yet the enemy influenced ungodly men to unjustly crucify an innocent man and hang an innocent man on a cross as a curse who didn't deserve to be cursed. And what Satan didn't realize he was doing was he thought what he was doing was killing the king of glory. What he thought he was doing was getting Jesus out of the earth. But what he really was doing was violating the terms of his authority. He unjustly used it. And in unjustly using that authority, it gave God the right as the just king of the universe to pull that authority back and return it to actually he intended it to be in the first place. And we see this very clearly. The Bible says, had Satan had known, let me realize he don't know everything. No matter what you're going through, no matter how big the tack, he don't know everything. I'll tell you something he don't know. He don't know the end of the book. He don't believe it. He don't believe that you have the victory in Christ Jesus. But what this verse, what, what 1 Corinthians chapter 2 teaches us is that Jesus uh, actually purchased back and had the devil not known that, he would have never crucified him. It says in verse 2, it says, For I determined, Paul said, not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Skip down to verse 8, and it says about Jesus Christ and him crucified. What, what about it? What about, it says, which none? What is the which? It's the crucifixion of Jesus which none of the princes of the world knew. Who are the princes of the world? He's not talking about, you know, physical princes. The Bible says we wrestle not against principalities, we're flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. This princes that he's talking about are the evil spirits that had authority to operate on this earth as a, as a part of Satan's kingdom. And it says, had they have known that their crucifixion of Jesus would have been unjust. See, they thought they were operating within their right, but they didn't realize they were dealing with an innocent, non-sin-stained man, right? That was God in the flesh. 
It says, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified, which none of the princes of this world, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You know, how many of you realize if Adam recognized that when I do this, God really meant what he said? How many of you know God told him he would die, right? But had he recognized, if I do this, I'm really going to die. I'm really going to be separated from God. I'm going to lose my authority. I'm going to have to work by the sweat of my brow. Life's going to get a whole lot harder. How many realize with eyes wide open, if he truly believed it, he wouldn't have done it? You know, sometimes we make mistakes with eyes wide open, but I think it's only because we don't have the revelation of the consequences are really going to affect us. See, sometimes we don't believe the wages of sin is death. We just believe grace covers everything. But if you go living in sin and you go living for the devil, no matter how much God wants to forgive you, there are wages for that sin, and it's going to cause consequences. I always say it this way, you play in the devil's backyard, his dogs go bite you. Amen. And had Adam known that, well, this, what the scripture also applies to, you know, had the enemy had known that three days later after they crucified him, the grave was going to shake, Jesus was going to make a show with them openly, and Jesus was going to take away the keys of death and hell and the authority they had, you think they'd have done that? Nah, they wouldn't have. It says they wouldn't have. The scripture tells us they wouldn't have. And so we find out here that, you know, that Satan illegally crucified Jesus, and in abusing that authority that they'd been given, God had a right to do what he did to raise Jesus from the dead. And we see that in him doing, in raising Jesus from the dead, he actually destroyed the power and authority of the enemy so that we could walk in what we're going to be talking about soon, the power of the name of Jesus. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15 says, And having disarmed the power and authority. See, he's talking about those spiritual wickedness in high places again. The devil, the enemy. So you need to recognize this again. There's a very real devil in the world. And the problems you're facing in your life, they are the product of a very real devil hating you and wanting to just be the nasty, evil villain that he is. But the good news is this morning, this verse... It says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. What that verse says is that when Jesus died on the cross, he spent three days and nights in hell, but after three days and nights, the grave began to shake, things began to rattle, and Jesus rose up. And the Bible says he made a public spectacle of the enemy. What did he do? He put him in the ring and he defeated him in front of everybody. He disarmed them. Notice what it says there. It says, he, it says, uh, it's, it says, what does it say? He made a public spectacle of them. Notice this, triumphing over them by the cross. See, he overcame them so much so that Jesus can say, as, uh, as the risen Savior, as he said to uh, John on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation chapter 1, he said, I am the first and the last. you got to know this. Your problem may come, but, the, but if you'll hang on to Jesus, he'll be the last one standing. <laughs> he said, I'm the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. So be it, right? Must have been preaching, waiting for somebody else to say amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. Well, did he have physical keys? Well, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I, I wasn't there, right? He might have had physical keys. But those keys are symbolic of something. A key opens a door. 
those keys are symbolic of, of the power of death and hell. And what he said was, I've risen from the dead now, and now I have all the authority back. I have the power of death and hell in my hand. So much so that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, Then Jesus came to his disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus now has repossessed all authority. And so what Adam gave away, sinned away, Jesus got it back through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. But the good news is this morning is the story doesn't stop there. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says, and you, everybody say you, look at your neighbor, look at your neighbor and say, that means me. And you hath he quickened, that word quickened is a little bit veiled, that means he's made you alive. Well, how many of you realize if you've accepted Jesus, you were alive before you accept him physically, so that's not what he's talking about. He's made you alive spiritually. If you are a believer, if you've accepted Jesus, you're set free. You, are, you have come to life. If you haven't accepted him yet, you can this morning. It says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So notice, before you accept Christ, you're dead in your sins. You're separated from God. You're separated from the authority that Jesus purchased when he rose from the dead. But notice, it doesn't only say that. It says that you, he hath made alive. So that's the good news. Look at your neighbor if you've accepted Jesus and say, I'm alive this morning. You hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. So you know what that tells me? If you're playing around in sin, that ain't the real you. You're chasing a lie. You've been deceived. You're alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. And not only that, not only that. You ready for more good news? And hath raised us up together. So not only did he make you alive, but he raised you up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So when Jesus rose from the dead and took the place of spiritual authority and dominion and all the planet and all the creation and all the universe, the Bible says at that moment that we accept Christ, we are raised together and seated with him in that same place of spiritual authority with our authority that Adam lost for us. Now, restored to us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. He got our Radon Kabash back. Amen. This is the very thing that Paul prayed that we would realize as a group of believers. Paul, writer of two-thirds of the New Testament. Sometimes, you know, how many of you realize that we've been called to worship Jesus? We've been called to adore Jesus, but we've also been called to understand some things about who we are and who he's made us. So many times we can get so subservient that we fail, and that we, he'll always be, be our master. He'll always be our God. Amen? Don't get that twisted. But sometimes we become so submitted to him that we fail to realize that he hadn't placed us under him. He's placed us with him. There are far too many believers that do not comprehend that. Every problem that shows up, oh, Jesus, help me. Every scripture they read, they see, you know, I always say this about the New Testament. When you read the New Testament, it is, it is, the picture of Jesus is an example of how we should live our life. 
You know, so we think, we see the little armbands that came out years ago, WWJD, what would Jesus do, right? And we always think of it from, you know, got to love people, got to forgive people. But if there was a sick person in front of him asking for help, what would Jesus do? Right? See, I think when we read the scriptures, because of this verse, I've been seated with him, I need to read the scriptures through the eyes of as if I was a little Jesus on the earth. See, we see ourselves as the woman with the issue of blood, right? Instead of seeing ourselves as the one bringing the healing to the woman with the issue of blood. There's a huge step in our maturity and growth in our relationship with Christ when we begin to recognize this verse is absolutely true. We are not underneath. We are not below. We've been seated with him in heavenly places. And Paul prayed that we would understand that. They would become a part of who we are. I'm going to read to you a large portion of Scripture here. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, all the way to chapter 2, verse 1 and verse 6. A lot of reading. Y'all okay reading the word this morning? It says, Paul said, Wherefore, as I also, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love unto all the saints. So notice, first of all, he heard you'd accepted Jesus and he heard you loved everybody. Well, that's pretty good. Amen. That sounds like our values. We love God with all of our hearts and we value people. Got that established. When I heard about that, what's the next thing he prayed for? I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So, you know, we could stop there and say, okay, so he just wants us to know who Jesus is. It starts there, right? That's where we started this message. We need to understand that he is in the position of supreme authority. There is no, th every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. But why do we want to know that about him? That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know, verse 19, here it is, the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, so that you know how much power he's given to you. According to the working, what kind of power? According to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Notice he says, I want you to understand Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords so that you can understand he's given you the very same power that shook death, hell, and the grave, that causes demons to tremble, that causes sickness to leave, that causes dead people to rise. Verse 19, and he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over the, all things to the church chapter 2 and verse 1, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. We read this already and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places of Christ. Paul prayed that we would understand that we are not under the thumb of Jesus. We're seated under his arm at his right side and we've been put in that place of authority as he has. Not, to, uh, not equal with him. He will always be God. He will always be Jesus. But standing side by side with him with the same power and authority that he has. Now you may say, I sure don't feel like it. 
I'm struggling. My life isn't good. I'm dealing with problems. I would tell you the reason why is you just have not comprehended and received revelation knowledge and it's not active in your life. You may be going through an attack. You may have a period of time where you need a little patience. But if you understand what God has said about you and his word and you're exercising the name of Jesus that he's given you, you will overcome that problem. You know, there are a lot of scenarios where people don't understand what they have. I was thinking about this and I remembered an article I read at one point many years ago and I dug it up and found it. This is an article that was published in the New York Times in 1991. I'm just going to read it verbatim. It said a collector, this is 1991, a collector who spent $4 at a Pennsylvania flea market two years ago for a, a dismal painting because he liked the frame now finds himself the possessor of a first printing of the Declaration of Independence. The discovery was announced yesterday by David N. Redden, head of the uh, book and manuscript department of Sotheby's in Manhattan. Mr. Redden described the document found behind the painting when the collector took the frame apart as an unspeakably fresh copy of the declaration. The fact that it has been in the backing of this frame preserved it, he said, of the 24 copies known to survive, only three are in private hands. Mr. Redden said the unidentified owner bought the painting, a dismal, dark country scene with a signature he couldn't make out for its gilded and ornately carved frame. The owner discarded the frame which he disliked, of the painting which he disliked. When he realized the frame was crudely made and unsalvageable, he said he got rid of that also. But he kept the declaration which he found behind the painting, Mr. Redden said. It was folded up about the size of a business envelope, and he thought about it for about, uh, uh, thought it might be an early 19th century printing and worth keeping out of curiosity. Didn't think it was much. Recently, the owner showed it to a friend who became quite enthusiastic and urged him to look into it further. So Selby Keffer, an American printing specialist at Sobeys, said at, the, at that point he called us. This copy is expected, this was in 1991, this copy is ex was expected to bring $800,000 to a million at auction on June 4th, 1991. But on June 4th, 1991, that document actually sold for $2.4 million. A $4 picture frame. How many people are walking around with a $4 Bible failing to realize the power and authority that's been given to them through the pages of that Bible in the name of Jesus. See, that's why we're teaching this series, so that we're not a bunch of people walking around with a $4 picture frame not realizing what we've been given, not realizing the power and authority that's been granted to us. As the musicians come, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18 says this, and Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now I want you to notice the next phrase. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples. Don't let those come in to distract you. It says this, Jesus came and told his disciples after he rose from the dead, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, everybody say therefore. Heard a great teacher say one time, when you see the word therefore, find out what it's there for. The previous statement was made, he says, because I have all authority, therefore, because of this, you go 
and make disciples of all nations. Here it comes, baptizing them in the name. What name? The name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Notice again that Jesus was given all authority, and then he tells us to go in that authority. He basically deputized us to use his name. How many of y'all watched, uh, ever watched Mayberry? Andy Griffith. When he deputized you, he didn't deputize you like Barney Fife got deputized. Barney got a gun but had no bullets, right? And, and when everything, oh, he never, but it won't his gun. And everything he did, boy, what we could do? He, was, he walked around like a scared cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Jesus came and deputized us, not only that, but gave us the gun and all the bullets. He gave us the name of Jesus that we can wield and we can use in our life. So that we're not running around like a bunch of scared individuals. So that when problems show up, we're not bending our knee to them and succumbing to them. But so that we're speaking to them in the mighty use of that name. John chapter 14 and verse 12 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go to my, unto my Father. Why? Because when he went to his Father, he redeemed us, raised us up together with him, and gave us something. And it goes on to say, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now either Jesus is a liar and can't be trusted, or he told the truth. And I boldly declare that this morning, not to put him on notice, but to let you know I know he's not a liar. I know he told the truth. And what he said is, is whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father, he gave us the use of that name. We're going to talk a lot about this over the coming weeks and the different uses and how we use that name so that we use it properly. So we're not carrying it around like a magic rabbit's foot that we just throw out in Jesus' name this and Jesus' name that. And we're not recognizing the authority of what we're saying and the finality of the problems we're declaring when we use that name. See, Jesus came and gave us His name. And notice what He said. He said, that will I do. What's He saying? He's saying, I will back up. Notice the responsibility. This is so important little nugget for you this morning he said if you'll just use the name I'll back it up he didn't say if you'll just use the name and pray enough and believe enough and be perfect enough the name has authority in and of itself and when we use that mighty name of Jesus that every knee should bow to it unleashes the power of heaven on our behalf. You know, when I get in my car and I stick my key in my car, I don't wonder if I've prayed enough for the key to open the door. Or now we have fobs, so right? When I press the fob, I don't wonder whether I've prayed enough. I know the fob is what opens the door. I don't wonder if I've fasted enough, if I've sought enough. I just use the fob. 
we've been given the name of Jesus to use as a key. We need to stop putting our confidence in our own ability and our own worthiness and our own things that we can do to earn the power of God moving on our behalf and understand that there is nothing you can do to cause God's power to come to bear on your behalf other than calling upon the name of Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven and earth whereby men can be saved. I'm not talking about salvation just from sins. I'm talking about salvation from sickness. I'm talking about salvation from disease. I'm talking about salvation from being lost and, 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 and captive by your addictions and your habits. When we call upon that name, knowing the value in that name, it has the ability to set us free. We're going to be talking about this over the coming weeks. So that you're not, we're not a bunch of Barney Fife's right now. Thanks for listening to our Grace Family Church podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this message. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, we would love for you to get connected. Just go to gfcva.info to learn more about who we are, how to give to this ministry, or how you can get involved. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.